Hello and welcome to the history of Vikings. Harold Bluetooth was an illustrious Scandinavian king of the Viking Age. Aside from his unique name, he is best known for the things he achieved as ruler of Denmark and Norway during the 10th century. After unifying Denmark under a single leader and conquering Norway, Harold converted the Danes and Norwegians to Christianity. In addition to this, he constructed a series of ring fortresses and extended the Danavirk, a defensive earthwork in northern Germany, and left a runestone in memory of his parents at Yelling. From his ascent to power and the achievements of his rule to Viking ring fortresses and some remarkable runestones, we'll be exploring an array of topics pertaining to King Harold Bluetooth in this episode of the podcast. Joining me to discuss these subjects is Dr. Elsa Rossdale, Professor Emerita in Medieval Archaeology at the University of Aarhus in Denmark. For her entire professional life, Dr. Rossdale has focused on the history of medieval Scandinavia and the Viking Age, having written and edited several books and many articles. Perhaps Dr. Rossdale is most famous for her highly acclaimed book titled The Vikings, which was published by Penguin. I'll include a link to the third and most recent edition of that book in the description of today's episode. Before we get into my conversation with Elsa, I want to tell you that we've partnered with Medieval Warfare magazine as a way to support this podcast. If you've ever wanted to support the history of Vikings, please consider doing so by signing up for a digital subscription to Medieval Warfare magazine, which is only $10 every six months. If you choose to sign up, please do so via the link in the description of this episode, as the History of Vikings will receive a commission that goes directly back into the show. You can also get a 10% discount off your subscription if you use the coupon code VIKINGS at checkout. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Elsa Rossdale. Dr. Elsa Rossdale, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to do this with you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. And I must say, I'm excited to delve into a topic of conversation that has been long requested by listeners of this podcast, and that is King Harold Bluetooth of Denmark. Well, let's start with this, Dr. Rostel. Harold Bluetooth was one of the great Scandinavian kings of the Viking Age. To many listeners of this podcast, his unique name, Bluetooth, will sound quite familiar. But who was Harold Bluetooth? Could you introduce us to this exciting character of the Viking Age? Yeah, he's my favorite Viking king, and I've worked on him for many, many years. He was uh, king of Denmark from about 960 to 987 circa. He is the forefather to the present Danish royal family, so they can trace their roots back to him. You mentioned his second name, Bluetooth, and we do not know what that really means. 
it's mentioned first about 150 years after he died without explanation. But what we do know is that at the time when he was alive, his wife called Tobe raised a runestone, and there she calls him Hal the Good. So I can't help you with his surname, <laughs> sorry. But uh, his first name, Harald, that's a normal Danish royal name of the time. And it means the leader of the army. We have several Danish kings of the Viking Age and just after who were called Harald. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, it's one of those mysteries of history, isn't it? The, yeah. um, his famous name, Bluetooth. You know, another sort of mystery, I suppose, is the fact that, you know, we don't know hardly anything about his life before he became king. You know, there are certain stories, but perhaps they're not entirely to be trusted. I'm curious, though, we do know a few things about Harold's parents. I understand that they started this new dynasty, which, you know, from that time forward, one has a continuous line of Danish kings. Could you tell us a little bit about Harold's parents? We know his parents because he carved their names and uh, the family relationship on uh, a runestone in Yelling, where he built great royal memorials. And uh, the stone says that his father was King Gorm, so he was also king, and his mother was Tyrod. So that we know for certain. But what was before them, that is fairly uncertain. There are some rumors or stories, some of them contradict each other, uh, that his grandfather, or perhaps his father, came from a place called Nordmania, which could be Normandy in France, or could be Norway. But I believe that it's Normandy in France, because otherwise the Norwegians would have boasted so much about it in the later sagas. So probably they came, uh, his parents or grandfather came to start a new dynasty in Denmark sometime before 950. And his mother, Tyr, she may well have been the daughter of some very powerful family uh, in West Jutland because uh, several runestones there are raised to the memory of her. So she may have given legitimacy to Gorm, who may have come as a conqueror. We don't know, but I think that is likely. Otherwise, we really don't know anything about Gorm, except that he was almost certainly buried in Yelling. We return to that in the biggest burial mound we have in Denmark. I'm sorry that there's so so much we don't know, but that's the case. That's how it is when we go back more than a thousand years. And uh, written sources are very few, but thank God we have archaeology. In this podcast, we will talk a lot about archaeology. Yes, indeed. And very much looking forward to getting to that point in our conversation, Dr. Rostel. Well, let's talk about how Harold came to power. You know, his parents, as I alluded to, started a new dynasty, which is still on the Danish throne. Was Harold Bluetooth's rise to power fairly straightforward? Was he the first, you know, 
heir to the throne and sort of that dynastier. How did that story go? I wish I could tell you. What we know is what he writes on his great runestone in Yelling, that he won all of Denmark for himself. And uh, that, of course, means that he must have somehow <laughs> been fighting about it. There may have been contenders to the throne. We don't know. But at least at the end, he comes out as the sole ruler of Denmark, which probably comprised the same as medieval Denmark, and probably also what had been Denmark for a long time, going back to the perhaps the 7th uh, or 8th century or before. But he became the sole ruler of Denmark. And from there, we start our Danish history, really. From then on, as you said, we know all the kings and we know a bit about what they did and so on. So it's it's really about 950. That's, to some extent, the start of our history. Indeed, indeed. And, you know, we'll talk more about the Yelling Stones later, but it seems to me, Dr. Rostell, that, you know, Harold Bluetooth was keen to relay information on these stones that he erected. Was that a very common practice during the Viking Age? You know, would rulers raise these memorial stones, you know, in celebration of their achievements? For listeners unfamiliar with that practice, could you tell us a little bit about the significance of memorial stones? Runestones have old roots in Scandinavia, but at about the time of Hal Bluetooth and a bit before, there came a new fashion. Some people say, <laughs> call it a runestone boom. Lots of runestones were raised. That means natural boulders found in fields on which runic characters, as a, a specific script called runic writing, was used. And uh, in Denmark, it's normally fairly brief messages, just a memorial to somebody. And the runestone Halp Bluetooth raised in Yelling, which we will return to, that's one of the long inscriptions. And uh, and uh, it's um, traditionally in some ways and innovative in other ways. But quite often it says, a man raised this stone in memory of another man. Interesting, interesting. No, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect and, sense. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting also that this boom in, in the raising of runestones that is more or less contemporary with the conversion period. And it may, in fact, be that this fashion of raising runestones, that was because they needed new types of memorials at a time when everything was shifting. Well, you know, I'm sure the the runestones have something to do with my next question, but, you know, what are Harold's most notable achievements as ruler of Denmark, in your opinion? Yeah. In fact, he he mentions them on his own uh, big runestone, where he writes uh, that he won, as I said, he won all of Denmark for himself. He was undoubtedly the sole ruler of Denmark. Then he also says that he won Norway, which is um, very interesting. Denmark had old, had for many years had um, the power in uh, the Oslo Fjord region, 
the area around the present capital of Norway and for a bit further west. But uh, Norway is a very big country and uh, it had a lot of resources uh, also at the time. And Hal Bluetooth seems to have taken, or so he says, and other sources confirm it, he took power and became the overlord over more or less all of Norway, as a western Norway with the present town of Bærum, and further north to Trondheim and further north of that. And that meant that he could um, claim warriors to come when he wanted uh, that to come and help defend Denmark or whatever. And it also meant that he could get taxes from Norway. So that was, um, it gave him prestige and uh, power and riches. And some of the things that he surely got from Norway was luxury like walrus ivory and falcons for hunting and um, beautiful furs from Arctic Norway. So Norway, that was his second achievement, as mentioned on the Yellingstone. And then he mentions the conversion of Denmark, which took place in about 965. So a few years, perhaps a dozen years after he, or five, ten years, some years after he um, ascended to the throne. And that, of course, is an amazing thing that we know roughly when that took place. And um, it was a change from the old Norse religion where gods like Odin and Thor were were celebrated to to Christ, um, to our present Christian religion. So that was an enormous change of customs and uh, life and outlook which took place. Hal says, writes on his tombstone that he made the Danes Christian which means that he must have been instrumental in making the Danes accept the new religion, which is quite a thing. Yes, it certainly is. And, you know, I understand that, you know, around the year 1000, the conversion of Scandinavia is occurring. And that's really, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of poising Scandinavian rulers to line up with the other Christian rulers of Europe during this time, you know, the leaders of Anglo-Saxon England and the Frankish realm were all Christians. So, you know, that's something that that a ruler in Scandinavia would hope to do, right? Did that sort of provide them with political protection? Yeah. um, One of the reasons why Denmark converted at this time during the reign of Hal Bluetooth was surely that the German empire with the emperor Otto the Great he had been crowned emperor in Rome, and he saw it as a religious duty to um, expand Christianity. And uh, Germany was always a dangerous neighbor to Denmark. We have a common border at the south of uh, Jutland, and that was Germany was a threat to Denmark all through the reign of Karl Bluetooth. So um, it was a very clever political move to accept Christianity. And perhaps, who knows, perhaps he was also or became a true believer. We don't know that. Yes, yes. Well, do we know anything about the Danish royal family during 
Harold Bluetooth's lifetime, his wife, and I understand his eventual successor, and his son. His son led a revolt uh, during you know Harold's lifetime. Could you tell us about that a little bit? As far as we know, Hal had uh, one son. At least we only know one, and uh, he was uh, Sven with the uh, second name. Fork beard, and we, we don't know what that means either, but uh, perhaps he had a fork beard. When Harald was old and had been on the throne for many years, some uh, as a, the political situation had changed and so on, his son uh, started or headed a revolt against uh, Harald, who was um, wounded and um, exiled and died from his wounds. Uh, south of the Baltic, probably in uh, present Poland, where he had a power base. So it was a sad end for for Harald, but his whole world had changed, and and uh, the reason for the revolt was probably that he had craved very many obligations, a lot of work uh, from the Danish people to defend the border, to build fortresses, to build his monuments in Yelling. Etc. And then probably his son was young and <laughs> young and ambitious, and uh, that may be a dangerous cocktail. But this son, Saint Forkbeard, is very interesting too, in that he was the one who, um, for a number of years, raided England and got very, very, very rich in silver over there, which he exerted from the English people. And in ten hundred and thirteen. He conquered all of England, but sadly died the next year. But then his son again conquered England. So there's a lot of strong, as a Hal had a strong son who had a strong son. And uh, it's uh, one of the very interesting periods in Danish and North European history during their reign. We know so little about uh, the person, really. But he, he had a wife from south of the Baltic, from one of the Slav principalities south of the Baltic. She was called Tove, and it was probably a marriage which um, came out of a political alliance or who supported a political alliance with the Slav principality, the the prince Mistyboy, because they also had problems with the Germans, so it must have been a a Slav-Danish alliance against Germany. And we know that only from a runestone inscription, which this tube raised in memory of her mother in Denmark, and that's where she calls Harald, Harald the Good. But we know one, one little, we have one little piece of evidence from a German written source, which says that Harald was a good listener, but he was slow to speak which is quite interesting and probably means that he wanted to have good information before he spoke up in um, in front of many people. But it's little bits and pieces here and there. That's very interesting. And, uh, you know, being slow to speak and quick to listen is probably a uh, a good quality of any modern leader as well. That's, that's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody has that quality. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. That is very true, Dr. Rostow. Well, one of the most interesting aspects of the Viking Age, in my opinion, 
and I've been looking forward to speaking with you about this, are the wonderful ring fortresses found in Denmark, most notably at Trelleborg, that are dated to the reign of Harold Bluetooth. Can you tell us about these fortresses? I understand you've done some work in relationship to them. I mean, what do you find most interesting about them? I've been fascinated uh, by these um, these fortresses uh, throughout my professional life, and um, I've published the finds from one of them, a fortress called Fjokert in Denmark. And these fortresses are fascinating. They are unique. Uh, nothing is known like them anywhere in the world. We've been looking all over for parallels. But uh, it's six fortresses which are heavily fortified with ramparts and ditches. And they are spread all over Denmark, which means what was Denmark at that time. There's also there are five in present Denmark and one in what is now Sweden. And they are called Trelleborg fortresses, uh, named after the first fortress, which was found in the 1930s. And the specific feature for all of them is and it, it astonished the, uh, everybody when it was first found, is that the ramparts form a complete perfect circle, the geometrical uh, as a shape of a perfect circle with gates at the four points of the compass. And the gates are connected with paved roads, as a uh, roads uh, paved with with planks, and in each quarter there are houses arranged as quadrangles. So it's a, as a completely geometric plan for these fortresses. And then there these houses arranged in quadrangles. It's very elegant houses, about 30 meters long, and with curved long walls and a curved roof, very elegant uh, copies have been built up the houses. So these houses are, uh, these fortresses are unique and they make very strong features in the landscape. They are prominently situated. And when the first was found, nobody believed uh, really that it could have been built by these primitive and, and brutal um, barbarian Vikings. So they were in instrumental in causing a completely new view of the Vikings that they were able to do to construct big uh, building enterprises like that. Have you ever seen them? I have not had the opportunity. You no. know, I was supposed to go to Scandinavia in 2020, but of course that didn't happen. You know, there are multiple fortresses in Denmark, Dr. Rostel. You know, once travel is available for people again. Personally, which fortress do you recommend exploring? Yeah, so they are preserved to different extents, and uh, and uh, most of them have their, their, their the biggest is Akerspor, uh at the Limfjord. It's so immense, 240 meters in, in diameter and with a beautiful uh, situation in the landscape. But uh, the ramparts are more visible at Fjokat, 
which mm-hmm. is much smaller, which is a bit further south than Jutland. And Trelleborg and Sjælland is very impressive. It also has an outer ward. But you can also, if you um, have a possibility, you could visit them all and uh, see the differences because they are not exactly the same. There's some differences in construction types and so on and in size and etc. But just for the for the landscape view also to see them situated in the landscape, it's it's uh, fascinating. And now they are on their way probably to be World Heritage Sites. Um, our Minister of Culture has just sent an application to um, to UNESCO to have them nominated, which will, and it will hopefully go through in uh, in uh, 2022. Oh, that it's got is a lot of work into it. <laughs> it's very complicated. Yes, yes, I can't imagine the uh, amount of work that's gone into that. Well, I certainly do hope it goes through. That's wonderful news. In the archaeology, you know, the archaeological work that has been done on these fortresses. What do you think, what are some of the most exciting finds? You know, do any of these fortresses bear signs of having seen conflict or combat? You know, do you think these fortresses, you know, battles or skirmishes ever occurred at these fortresses or were they sort of constructed and, you know, not really used? I mean, I'm sure they were used, but did did they or did they not see combat? Some of them probably did. There are traces of fire in some of them. but. Um and some some of them, especially one in Sjælland called Boring, seems not to have been finished. But it's all of them lasted. Those who were finished lasted um, for very few years, and they probably did not outlast uh, hard Bluetooth's reign because the political situation had changed um, a few years before he was um, killed and and thrown out of the country. So that's one of the interesting things, and it, that they are so closely linked to the political situation at the time. And they are not mentioned in any written source, but from the dating, that means from the objects found, and also from the dating method of dental chronology, that's from annual rings in the timbers used. We can say that they were constructed shortly after a defeat, after uh, 974, when Hall was defeated by the German emperor at the border wall, the Danneberge. So they were built, probably, uh, and it must have been one big plan in order to be, to be part of the defense of Denmark, which was threatened by the German empire. And um, we are able to to say that now because they are fairly well dated now. When they first were found, um, dating was not so precise, so they were at the time linked to the conquest of England and seen as um, as barracks for the soldiers who went across the North Sea and and conquered England. But but that is not the case. They were ruins at the time. We can see they were never. Uh, repaired and that, for example, and there are no objects from from uh, the time of the conquest of uh, England. So they must have been given up before that even started. But it's interesting. It's uh, 
everything we know about them that is from archaeology. But then we can link it, because of the fairly precise dating, to what we know happened in the bigger politics and the relation to to Germany. And we also know that at the time there were fortifications, uh, fortification work on a huge border wall, the Dannebjerg, which also which also uh, took place in Halblutu's time. So we fortified also the very border against Germany. How interesting. You know, I think one thinks of the Vikings as being these seafaring marauders who traveled off to distant lands and raided the Frankish realm and Anglo-Saxon England. Um, but it's interesting, you know, there was um, certainly a lot afoot in their own homelands, you know, in Denmark, and that's evident from these fortresses. That's very interesting. Well, Harold Bluetooth was a Christian, and Christianity was spreading rapidly in Scandinavia around the year 1000 when he was in power. Did his religion influence his reign? Was he tolerant of the, you know, pagan customs that had been going on in Denmark for presumably hundreds, if not even thousands of years before Christianity was introduced? Yeah, that's another interesting side of what we believe <laughs> was his uh, character, that he seems to have been very tolerant towards the ancient religion, that he there, there's no uh, heartbreak as far as we can see. On the contrary, the old burial customs continued for quite some time. We know that the conversion took place in 963 or 965, but hardly later. And five years after that, one magnate in Jutland, not so far from from uh, Hal's main place, Yelling, he was buried like an old pagan with lots of grave goods and under a, a mound. And even at Hal's own fortresses, the Fjokat fortress, there was a, a burial place where a number of the burials contained grave goods, like in pagan times. There was even a, a grave for a female pagan magician at Fjokat, which is fascinating. I have worked on on her grave, and it contained all sorts of peculiar stuff. Um, uh, interesting things from various uh, countries and uh, and uh, also for example some seeds of henbane which can um, if you burn it um, and sniff uh, the sniff it then uh, you feel you are sort of flying <laughs> it's like <laughs> some sort of uh, narcotic uh, some sort of drug and um, they used to have some role in in war. So it's quite appropriate that uh, she was buried at the fortress of, of Fjokat, but it's very interesting that um, they had a pagan pagan lady there. For example, the, there was a, a, a great pagan revival just before the conversion, before the official conversion very pagan burial uh, customs and so on, and lots of pagan symbols. They continued some time after the 
official conversion. And for example, there was a symbol of Odin, um, the pagan god, in the grave of that pagan lady and uh, other pagan symbols in another grave there. But gradually, after some decades, pagan custom disappeared and uh, instead they got the Christian cross. But probably the conversion happened more or less like in Iceland, where there were some exceptions to proper Christian practice. And that was accepted in order to make the people accept the new the new faith. And I believe that was the case in Denmark too. We just don't know it, but we know it from Iceland. I see. Dr. Rostel, you've been studying Harold Bluetooth for many years, and I'm sure there's more to be said about him than our time together today would allow. But before I let you go, is there anything you'd like listeners to keep in mind while reading and learning more about Harold Bluetooth, a truly epic figure of the Viking Age? The fortresses are among his main monuments, but his truly great monument, that is in Yelling, the place where he raised his big runestone, which is the most splendid runestone of all runestones, with big pictures and the long inscription and set um, next to the biggest burial mound uh, in in the country. It's all, and there's another big mound there and other features. It's a truly great place, which interestingly is also planned in a geometric way, but it's not circular like the fortresses. It's another geometric figure shape, a, a rump, and with equal sides. So it's uh, some sort of, uh, Haldutus must have had some sort of of uh, madness <laughs> or weakness uh, in relation to numbers. He must have been fascinated by numbers and geometric shapes and uh, order and things like that. So uh, if you come to Denmark, that's absolutely a place to go and see. And besides that, he also instigated a new coinage and new art, and he built the first proper bridge in in Denmark, a huge structure, which also lasted for a very short time and probably was given up when Harl died, like all the other monuments. It was... Um, the bridge was about 750 meters long, and you could, two wagons could pass each other on it. So, uh, an enormous amount of big oak posts uh, have been used for it. So, um, there's a remarkable king also in that he built so many huge monuments, which archaeology has revealed and which we can now go and visit. And if you want to read about it, I've written a book where he had Bluetooth features along with a lot of other Vikings stuff, but uh, all his achievements are mentioned there. It's called The Vikings and published by Penguin uh, Books. But if you get it, make sure to get the latest edition, 2016, which has the recent results from Gilling and the fortresses. Dr. Rostel, yes, I will certainly include a link to your famous book, The Vikings, published by Penguin, the latest edition, 2016, as you mentioned, in the show notes, the description of this episode. And uh, I have a copy 
sitting on my shelf right now. I picked it up at my local Barnes & Noble uh, sometime last year, so highly recommend. Well, again, Dr. Rossdale, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And thank you. Thank you for listening to the History of Vikings. If you've enjoyed today's show and would like to support the podcast, please consider doing so by signing up for a digital subscription to Medieval Warfare magazine. For only $10 every six months, you will receive bi-monthly issues of the best history magazine on the market. In addition to this, you'll be directly supporting the podcast. If you choose to sign up, please do so via the link in the description of this episode, as the History of Vikings will receive a commission. You can also get a 10% discount off your subscription if you use the coupon code VIKINGS at checkout. Before we end today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I recently wrote an article for History.com titled Valhalla, How Viking Belief in a Glorious Afterlife Empowered Warriors. Please be sure to check it out via the link in the description of this episode. Thank you so much again for listening to the podcast. Please join us here again for another episode. <laughs>